equity is precious. I mean, if you've got an outside investor who's putting money into your business, that's great in those first few years. But if you're the only one driving the business and that investor is just sitting back, you know, building equity in a, in a business, he didn't take a ton of risk in or hasn't, you know, felt the blood, sweat and tears of it every day. Yeah. Th- that doesn't work. I mean, you used to have partners, you know, and, and it's challenging having partners. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've been very reluctant to, to take on that. Welcome. To the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. I am really, really excited to be bringing on uh, an old friend, someone who worked uh, with me and uh, our organization back in the late 80s. He was an operator of the year. He worked with us a number of years. He helped expand the business, you know, as a district manager and a leader um, in the Michigan, Ohio area. And uh, he went into corporate career and after six months recognized that no he needed to be an entrepreneur and he spent a number of years building a business plan that he then started to execute. And we dig into that execution and how it worked and the commitment that it was. And just a fascinating story. Um, You know, Paul's business is now over $100 million and growing quickly and uh, has an incredible uh, plan for the future with premium service brands. And he's the CEO. And uh, really fascinating story. And, he, and it, we, we, we really dig into the 2008 financial crisis and what an impact his business was. You know, he, he had his business drop in by 50% in sales. His, he, he literally had to sell his car and ride to the office in a bike so that, you know, liquidating everything he could to keep the business alive uh, to sort of, uh, you know, get to where he is now. So a fascinating story. Uh, I know you're going to love it. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Again, if you know of any amazing leaders, direct them to the podcast. You can send me an email at chris at leaderspodcast.ca or go directly to our website, studentworks.com. Thanks so much. Have a fantastic day. Okay. So, Paul, super excited to have you here on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for reaching out and great reconnecting, Chris. Thanks uh, for having me. It really has been. No, one of the cool things about about doing this podcast is I get to reach out and I know really what what created it was was seeing your brand and all the different things that you've done and the growth and the development of your business. And um, and I, I just saw it on LinkedIn. I'm going, let's reach out to Paul. So it's really been awesome yeah. reconnecting. And then what's great is I really know a little bit, but I don't know as much. And I know we're going to discover more and more of that about that. So, uh, so, you know, for our, for our leaders, for our leaders, um, you know, Paul was an outstanding, uh, operator and district manager and really, really, um, you know, crushed it back in the day with our organization. And, um, so tell us what you were like before our program. Before that's going back a few decades. Exactly. Well, I mean, by nature, I'm a very introvert 
I'm an introvert as a person. I, I'm, I'm not. So before the program, quiet, uh, sort of stuck to myself. I played a lot of hockey. But yeah, I know it was just uh, very much an introvert prior to the program. And any sort of frustrations that you had about life in high school before you went to the University of Windsor, anything like that popping up for you? Uh, I mean, frustrations are probably what every teenager goes through, but just finding my way, you know, not a, yeah. just trying to figure out where I fit and, you know, what my skills were. And so just being able to, you know, understand that and address those and, you know, move forward. Okay. Because it's really great. One of the things that we do now in our program is we profile people. So we tell people and we, we show people who they are, because sometimes they're really not that clear. I, I wasn't. I thought everyone mm-hmm. was like me. which is so crazy of course but anyhow and by the way you don't show up like an introvert so obviously you develop skills and um you know so what was that transition like being able to you know just you know mask or 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 be more extroverted in areas when you needed to yeah i think that started when i got a part-time job at sears Mm -hmm. and i was working in the home improvement department and toy department and you know having to be able to work with customers that have come in uh, was probably my first, you know, being forcing myself to be uh, an extrovert at times yeah. when I needed to be. But when I got into the program, I mean, it was me, you know, 24 seven, you know, running yeah. your own business. And, you know, what I put into that day was what I was going to get back out of it. So I knew I had to push myself and to be the extrovert and to deal with customers and to be able to manage employees. And that's what really brought me out of my shell uh, was the student program and really gave me a lot of tools that I use today in business. So, no, it was fantastic. So what do you still rely on from the program, Paul? Wow. Lots of different things. I, I think number one is working with people in dealing with people, you know, uh, conflict management is a big thing when dealing with the customers that I did back in the program, you know, conflict management with employees. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody likes conflict. Yes. So when, when it's there and you don't address it, it just festers and it becomes a bigger issue and it takes up more of your mental space. So for me, it was, you know, don't just let those slide. I've got to address those issues and uh, head on. So that though, that part of the business was, was amazing. You know, being the head of, or being a leader, you know, whether it was in the, the, the management program or whether it's today is you've got to put yourself out there, you know, mm-hmm. and you are the face of the company, whether it was yeah. summer in Sarnia or the second summer in Windsor, but I'm selling myself, you know, and I'm leading yeah. by example. And so the leadership, the conflict management are probably the two biggest things that I, I still have with me today. Awesome. Awesome. And um, so why don't we go back and sort of talk about your career progress? Because one of the, the things our leaders always want to know is, wow, like, you know, you're where a whole bunch of people want to be, you know, running a hundred million dollar franchise organization. Like, wow, like what a mm-hmm. huge success. How do I get there? And, and it's not a straight line as we'll find out. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, just, just a couple of years. <laughs> exactly. Just a couple of years. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Just, overnight. just scaled it real fast. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, after, after, you know, student works, what, what, what did you do? What were you thinking, et cetera? 
So uh, I, I had the two summers as being a, you know, I, I don't know what you call them today, but a franchisee. Yes. You know, an operator. Uh, so I did that my first summer in Windsor, which is where I went to school. And then my second summer was in Sarnia. And then right place at the right time with you, I was able to go to Michigan and open up the Michigan, Indiana and Ohio division of the company. Right. And for a year and a half, that was great because that was building from nothing. So I yeah. love that exposure of taking, you know, absolutely nothing there. And, you know, I had to create the relationships on campus. I had to sell the position to the students and then supporting them and building that infrastructure. So that for that year and a half was invaluable. But during those times, I saw my friends with corporate cars and corporate accounts and cell phones and credit cards. And I thought, what the hell am I missing? You know, I yeah. better go get that corporate experience. So went back to Ontario uh, and joined Coca-Cola. Okay. And probably within six months, Chris, I knew exactly what I needed to be doing. And that was building a business plan to petition the U.S. government to start my own business. Okay. Spent the next four years at Coke saving money um, and then finally got our e-visas and uh, headed down to the U.S. and started my own business. I, I knew I wanted to have my own ability to set my schedule, to set my destination in terms of financial return, building an asset. Uh, and that wasn't going to be with Coke. Coke was a great company, but there's that is very structured and that's not, I don't play well in, you know, in that type in, of structure. Sandbox. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I wanted to create my own. Yeah. And many entrepreneurs don't. And so, so you discovered that obviously you had this really amazing entrepreneur experience. You're having really you know, in terms of Coca-Cola, it's an enormously fantastic organization. I know earlier on we had we had one of our amazing alumni who's really climbed really, really high within Coca-Cola. So obviously there's lots of amazing opportunities there. Oh yeah. So what did you get out of that experience? Because I'm sure I'm sure there are there are things that you really valued that you got out. Yeah, because for me, Coke was I, I was able to see the infrastructure, see that structure, see the process, you know, see all the things that they had in place over the decades that they've been in business. So for me, running my own student painting business and then going into a very entrepreneurial experience in Michigan, there was no structure there or very yes. little structure, right? Very little so structure, going, yeah. going, doing a 180 and heading into Coca-Cola was like a totally different experience. And one I still cherish, one yeah. I'm glad I'm not a part of still. Yes. But, you know, it, 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 it really allowed me to see the structure that had to be put in place for my future endeavor. But yeah, no, the structure in that company is crazy. It's marvelous. Yeah. And it is one of those things where, you know, the organization that Paul and I were in at the time, we were just running, like just running, right? Like that's really the experience of it. We were just driving growth, driving growth. And there was just so little structure and we were just so oblivious to the fact there was so little structure. And in fact, yeah. in the, in the, in our, our business ended up regressing and then just stayed flat or my business stayed flat literally for a decade until we started putting in more systems, more structure. My partner came in, my who has business school um, skills and the CEO and mm -hmm. CFO of the business and, and just all of a sudden the structure. And, and as we put more and more structure, that formality sets you free. It actually gives more freedom, less, less wasted time, less wasted energy. And what's really great, Paul, is that you saw it 
And then you obviously probably start building it into your business plan. Okay, this is what didn't work at Student Works, and I'm going to go put it in. I'm, I imagine. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, not not taking the 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 experience at Student Works was amazing without the, without the structure. We, yeah. Nobody was going to ever outwork you and I, Chris. No Absolutely. <laughs> you, know, you know, there's a lot more people out there probably working smarter than Paul Flickens, but nobody was going to outwork us. And you're right. I mean, what I have found in my business today is the structure that I have around it, having in-house counsel and CFOs and a platform that we track and manage all of our KPIs on. I'm not working as hard. Yes. But I'm working smarter. Yes. And, you know, I'm not... I'm not driving the business like I used to because I don't have to because all these things are working for me. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I was able to obviously see the structure in Coca-Cola and not that I was going to replicate it. But what I did identify was the importance of having that structure in place to properly track and manage your business. Absolutely. So. Tell me about, you know, the early years of, I guess it's 360 painting. So that's, that's what you decided mm-hmm. to go into full-time franchising. Yep. Tell me about what that was like and, and, you know, and, and again, yeah. And then we can talk about the levels of success, et cetera. Sure. I mean, going into 360 painting, the, the only thing I knew was painting and franchising through you. Yeah. So I, I it was almost by default. Uh, I wasn't going to, you know, start a software or a software drink company because I'm not going to compete against Coke. So what I did know was painting and franchising. And I felt, you know, taking that knowledge and down to the U.S. and understanding, you know, the estimating, the marketing process, the hiring, the managing, that was very comforting to me to know that I I, I knew that business model. So going into it, you know, I, I, put together the business plan. I put together some of the processes and the training manuals and, you know, figured, well, once it's built, they will come. Yeah. And, and it was a lot harder to sell franchises than I ever, ever anticipated because people had to take a leap of faith with me. I didn't have any proven yes. concept. Uh, all I knew was I did it in Canada and right. ha- I'm going to replicate it here. So ended up coming down here, putting, you know, the processes and the structure in place for a franchise partner to facilitate their success. But it was it was difficult. And we had about 18 months of a great run, uh, sold a bunch of franchises. And then in 2008, the wheels fell off of the economy down here and obviously up in Canada as well. It hurt. But uh, the financial fallout was significant. And that was a, a very, very challenging time for the company. Right. Getting through that. And but learned a lot from it, but you know that those initial stages of of three sixty painting were very similar to what I did in Michigan and was a franchisee under this under the program with you. Right, right. And so, so in terms of those, you know, initial initial franchisees, did you run a painting company at the same time, or did did you stay a hundred percent committed to franchising? Yeah, so what we did was we started in 2005, we started our own prototype painting company up in Alexandria, Virginia, and really tracked the marketing initiatives, put together at the same time the operation manual and the training program, and then the support. After about a year to 18 months, I hired a GM to take over the day-to-day operations of that 
single unit. And then as we were selling franchises, I was also both training them and supporting them uh, in the field. So yeah, it was just, uh, I was, became a franchisee again, and then yeah. I became a district manager again. And then it just was sort of a, re- a regression of what I, I, I had done during my university days. Absolutely. And so, so really, really, it's interesting, you know, in terms of timing. So 2005 and then 2008, that is really, really, you know, what you'd say bad timing, you know, and <laughs> it just is what it is, right? Like, it you is. know, like it's one of those things where, where, you know, for our leaders, you can't manage it, you know, and our leaders right now are fundamentally being impacted by this global pandemic. It's going to impact mm-hmm you know, medium term, you know, short term economic opportunities in most industries and graduating into a a market that's deflated uh, in most Mm -hmm. industries. And that's tough. You know, just like for you, it Mm -hmm. was tough. You got started. And then, you know, like, what was it like trying to sell jobs in the middle of the, the, you know, the global financial crisis, you know, (laughs) you know, banks, banks, you know, seizing assets and, and banks almost going out of business. What was, what was that like? Absolutely. The perfect storm for us. I mean, you have overinflated home values that that bubble bursted. So people that may have may have had a a million dollar home, you know, with a one point one million dollar mortgage on it. And all of a sudden their value goes down to five, six, seven hundred thousand. Their their decision is maybe I just walk away. Like, how am I ever going to get above water here? Uh, Banks were obviously foreclosing at record amounts. So from a consumer standpoint, nobody was going to invest money into their homes because they didn't know, A, if they were going to be able to stay in their home. And two, is they were so underwater, any additional investment just made that proposition even worse. And, and it, it just seized up the whole liquidity in the U.S. So even people weren't buying franchises. Yes. So it was a perfect storm for us to, to get through. And, you know, it lasted a long time, Chris. It just, yeah. it wasn't a six month. I kind of equate it to what we're going through today for the restaurant and the tourism industry. Yeah, The COVID is not going to go away next week or next month or next year, yeah. you know, and they're, they've got a long road, just like we had in 2008, nine and 10. So, but yeah, no, nobody was spending money. So nobody was, you know, investing in their business and, and selling something was very difficult at any margin level. So did your business retract then, Paul? Oh God, yeah. 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 Significantly. We we lost probably 50% of our revenue, you know, as we headed into 2008. Uh by the time we ended 2008, we were about half of revenue. Wow. And and so, yeah. so being half of revenue, um it's really difficult to be profitable, right? It's really difficult not to lose money, right? And so yeah. all of a sudden you're yeah. you're lo- you're losing money, and uh, you mm-hmm. know you're holding on by your teeth. And then also your assets outside uh, the business all of a sudden are dropping too, right? Your real estate, you know, property like everybody's real estate is dropping. So really yeah. stressful times. How'd you keep your head? You know, I I, I li- we liquidated everything. Okay. I can even remember it getting so bad. I sold my car just to for food and to pay the utilities at, at the house. So then I just drove my bike to the office. You know. So for me, as an as a very optimistic entrepreneur, much like you, yeah, I knew it was going to end. And you know, and every month that it would go by and it didn't end, I was just like, damn, you know. But it's going to end. 
And so I just kept my focus long term yeah. and uh, rang up enormous amounts of debt. Yeah. Crazy debt to just keep the lights on and provide for those franchise partners that we did have uh, to get on the other side of it. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, thanks for being, you know, so authentic and sharing this story, just because I think a lot of times, you know, people see the success and then you don't see what it took. It's like, hey, selling your car so you can drive to your office on a bike, you know, and had you stayed at Coke, you would have been making six figures. And And I won't lie to you, Chris, there were some days I wish I was back there back then. (laughs) (laughs) So like, what did I do? And (laughs) yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we had just had our first child in uh, January of 2008. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just a perfect storm for the family as well. But uh, yeah, what though those challenges, the, that adversity has made me a better leader today and, and, and have built a big, better company for it. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And I, I, I have similar just real beatings or, or challenges or or, you know, yeah just um, very, very difficult times. And it's really easy again for somebody to look and think, oh, wow, everything's great. You know, no, there are times where they haven't been. And so, you know, the market starts to turn around, you know, why do you think you've been able to be successful and recruit strong business owners into your franchise? Like what's, what sets, 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 has set 360 painting apart? Well, the, what always drives a success is the individual franchise partner success, because any prospect is going to sure come into the office, look at our infrastructure, look at the systems, the software we have in place. But their their biggest takeoff is going to be talking to an existing franchise partner. And if those franchise partners that are out there that we continue to invest and make sure we facilitate their success, they're going to say good things that, you know, Paul and his team have lived up to their commitments. I'm happy with the decision I made and you should do the same thing. So, you know, for, for a franchise system like ours anyways in the U.S., it all gets down to validation of of what the franchise partners are saying. Absolutely. Yeah. And we find the same thing. You know, it's like, you know, this year already, uh, Paul, we have 70 referrals. You know, we had over 60% of our operators return and then 70 referrals. And so, you know, again, we've got raving fans, you know, they're winning, they're, 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 you know, and again, our team are committed to them and love them. And so you're right, that is what makes a franchise or franchise-like organization like us work, right? And so, you know, and it's it's interesting as well, you know, Paul, like there's been a lot of painting companies, significant painting companies created over the last mm-hmm. couple of decades. And so to a certain extent as well, to me, it, it seems as well, like full-time franchise painting companies. To me, you saw an opportunity that was there and really have stepped into it, you know? And so well done, right? Like, it, yeah. you know, like it, it was kind of like, it's a sleepy industry. Like if, if we could do what the student painters are doing, well, why aren't, why weren't there full-time franchise organizations? And there really weren't many. And now there are more. And obviously you guys right. are really significant. You know, so how do you see that, that choice or how do you see that was, was, was it a, did you see what was going to happen <laughs> or, you know, just like, you know, <laughs> but the, the opportunity and no, pretty soon there'll be a bunch of people or how do you see that Paul? Well, I, I, so first of all, I love the home service industry. And as I yeah. mentioned earlier, getting into it, 
the only thing I knew was painting and franchising. So that was comfort for me. But my vision was always to have multiple service brands okay. under the same umbrella, servicing the same same customer. So anything like painting, it's a very fragmented, customer service deficient, technology deficient industry. But it's a massive industry as well with high margins. So any industry like that, I'm attracted to, you know, that Mm -hmm. I can go in and change a customer's experience and have a professional service done versus the guy that, you know, shows up covered in paint, beer breath, hasn't shaven and is running his, you know, painting business in the back pocket of his cell phone. Yeah. That's not, you know, customers demand more today than what the industry typically has. And I can talk freely about it because I have a lot of respect for a company called Serta Pro Painters. Yes. And they are the lar- world's largest painting company. And they do about $450 million in system-wide revenue. Mm-hmm. You know, down here, the the, the residential like commercial industry is about $60 billion. So, yeah. Chris, they're less than one half of 1% of market share. Wow. So there is such a massive opportunity that I saw in the industry and continues to see in the industry is that, you know, customers demand a better experience, better quality, and they don't want chucking a truck showing up, you know, hopefully, let's say, hopefully showing up. Hopefully and hopefully on time. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And, you know, not buying the, the, the cheapest paint at Home Depot or Lowe's. Yeah. So that, if we can provide that customer experience, the vision was, is how do I, you know, cross sell that with our other brands? And so I love the home service industry and you could look at any part of the home service industry, whether it's plumbing, whether it's HVAC, whether it's garage doors, main service, it's very fragmented, but it's a massive industry. Like down here, it's just shy of half a trillion dollars a year is the home service industry. So it's massive and it's dominated by Chuck in a truck. Yeah. What's fascinating as well is, is that, what I know to be true about you, Paul, is you're going to work your butt off, right? And you're going to really work hard to provide service to your franchisees, to the end consumer, right? Like that's mm-hmm. a given because that's what you learned here, right? And then you go and take over time building systems, building talents yeah. in your organization. And then because as the business scaled, like what about that? Like as the business starts to scale, there's a tendency to do I take more money out and I know buy a nicer car or do I go hire a CFO or do, do I, do I go upgrade my CRM? How did you look at those types of decisions as you uh, had to make them over the years? Yeah, I I think it's probably a lot of it's come through maturity, Chris, because there were a Mm -hmm. lot of times I spent money on maybe a nicer car than I should have bought. And, uh, you know, instead of reinvesting back where it was appropriate. So those things that I've seen in my past is, making those mistakes to buy a nicer car. So your friends see in a nicer car versus, you know, hiring a CFO or putting a software system in place, really that car became very expensive because the mistakes that were made by not putting the right people and infrastructure in place really, you know, slowed growth mistakes that cost money. So as I matured and learned from those mistakes, and that's the one thing I think about the program you run is there's not a classroom in any university in North America that's going to teach you the practical hands-on experience. And for me, mm-hmm. I was a terrible student. 
I went right. to grade 14 in high school. I <laughs> did a victory lap at university. I mean, I was terrible. So for me, it's all about learning hands-on. So yeah. I've made those mistakes, but, you know, and I'm very proud of where the company is today, but it could have been where it is today a lot sooner by reinvesting back into what needs to be reinvested in versus going on a trip, flying first class, buying a new car that I didn't need. So yeah. my, my advice is put the right infrastructure in place first, and then it will pay it back in, in spades uh, years from now. Spades later. Yeah. And it yeah. really is difficult choice. It takes, as you mentioned, maturity and, and uh, um, patience. And um, those things are hard to come by. And again, thanks for, thanks for sharing. So, and I really love um, what you're doing around again, broadening your base over the last number of years and, and providing these other services. And, and so that, so that again, trying to own a customer fully to provide, mm-hmm. you know, garages or, or maids or, or these different types of services. Yeah. So are you starting to see an impact where, where your, your teams are working together, the different, the different services? Yeah, both at the local level and our team here in Charlottesville, mm-hmm. we have an initiative, which we call home one. And it's mm-hmm. all about owning the home and mm-hmm. whatever service that is overlapping in a specific area where we have multiple franchise partners like Charlotte, North Carolina, where we have, you know, the made right 360 painting pro lift doors, you know, in real time, we can identify a new customer and the job being started. And then we're able to immediately cross sell a different service to them uh, through direct mail, direct email campaigns. Uh, we have our own in-house call center, so we do outbound calling, and we're able to drive free leads for our franchise partners, wow. uh, reducing their customer acquisition costs, uh, making them more profitable. But this is all incremental leveraging of our biggest asset, which is our customer base, our end user. Right. And our end user is the same across all of our brands. Right. And I guess the exciting thing for you know, your franchise partners is, is, wow, my experience here is just likely to keep getting better. Yeah. Right. So they, they're kind of in the same boat with Paul and they're actually encouraged to go and look for a franchisee in the market, you know, and again, not, you know, just in a, in a, in a win-win way. Hey, if somebody Mm -hmm. comes over and and takes that made business, then we can work together and, and build more business together. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're attending home shows together, reducing their, you know, home show entry fee cost in half. They're doing uh, direct mail pieces that are co-branded. So the more people we can get in a certain market, the more efficient they can become, the more productive they can come. And we can support that, you know, from a head office standpoint. So, you know, once a customer has a good experience, as you know, they're going to come back and they're not going to ask for another uh, estimate. So it's a much easier sales proposition if they have that good customer experience. Fantastic. And so one of the things um, we always love to sort of, you know, chat about is is failures <laughs> or mistakes. Are there anything that sort of, I know you've touched on a, on a, on a couple, anything that sort of stands out um, for mm-hmm. you that, you know, wish I'd maybe had done it differently. Again, for our leaders here who want to be successful as a senior leader, either running their own business or in corporate Canada, U.S., et cetera. Yeah. You know, obviously sitting in Canada, working at Coca-Cola, putting together my business plan is much different when you have to start executing the business plan. And then all of a sudden, 
something's going to go wrong. You know, nothing Mm. is like a hockey stick in business. You know, you're going to have your challenges. You're going to fall down. I was so undercapitalized, Chris, going into the U.S. I wasn't even remotely properly capitalized. And that's my biggest mistake. Uh, uh, And then when 2008 hit, it just it made it 10 times worse. So no, under I was way undercapitalized. You know, I based on my business plan, I was perfectly capitalized, but the business plan never goes as planned. Yeah. So I, I was way undercapitalized. There were obviously people that uh, I couldn't pay, and it was just it, yeah. You whatever you think you need, I would maybe double it, and yeah. then you've yeah. got because once your time is spent focusing on cash flow, it's not focused on driving the business. Yes. You're looking just to put your finger in the in the dike and hopefully that it, you know, changes, but you've got to stay focused on the business and you can't do that if you're having uh, you know cash flow problems. Totally got it. No, I, well, and I think that's just again so wise and, and it certainly speaks speaks to some challenges we had early on in the business as well. Mm-hmm. And it's a difficult uh it's a difficult uh spot, you know, to get properly capitalized, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Did you ever look at selling equity in your business? Yeah, I did. I, and I have at times, and then I paid them back. So I okay. look at that more as loans being taken out versus okay. actual equity. Right. Equity is precious. I mean, if you've got an outside investor who's putting money into your business, that's great in those first few years. But if you're the only one driving the business and that investor is just sitting back, you know, building equity in a, in a business, he didn't take a ton of risk in or hasn't, you know, felt the blood, sweat and tears of it every day. Yeah. Th- that doesn't work. I mean, you used to have partners, you know, and, and it's challenging having partners. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've been very reluctant to, to take on that. Yeah, no, and I totally get it, and and we're happy that you know my wife and I own this completely, and and it and it's and it there's just so much more alignment, yeah, and and can be a real real uh, concern. So you know, as you went from that university student to you know now a you know business owner, full time creator, create, mm-hmm. you know value creator, what did you need to change about yourself, Paul? Oh, uh, again, I, I every day I've got to work on be not being an extrovert. Okay, it is. Like uh, going, presenting, whether it's to a discovery day where we have new franchise partners coming in and looking at the opportunity, whether it's my staff and leading them every day, I've got to still work on day to day getting out there because it's easy just to walk into my office, shut the door, do my thing and leave and go home. That's comfortable for me. I've got to push myself. So I'm not, you know, not that introvert. And, you know, I've got to where it's not comfortable. So yeah, every day I've got to work on that. Awesome. Awesome. You know, what I love about that is we all have weaknesses. And so we Mm -hmm. all, your weaknesses won't go away. You'll need to continue to um, manage them. You know, for me, Paul, I'm a major optimist and that's a weakness at times, right? I can be too optimistic. And I know, you know, you've said you could suffer from that. I also am too nice and that's a problem. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. you can be too nice and it can impact your business and it can impact relationships. Yeah. And so, so for me, I, again, I need to continue to watch that, you know, so, it, so yeah. it's, it's not going to go away for Chris. It's not going to go away for Paul and for our leaders listening. It's not going to go away, you know, and the no. biggest thing we can do is shine a light on it, acknowledge it. And then, okay, let's, you know, how am I doing? Check in, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. You've got to continue to push yourself. And th- those challenges, and everybody has them, nobody's perfect. Yes. Don't just go away. You've got to, mm-hmm. for me anyways, I got to work on them every day. Right. And, you know, I, I like working on it. I, I can always be a better person. Yeah. No. It, yeah. And, and and it's great as well to frame it in that way. Right. Like just, okay, mm-hmm. hey, I'm just, I want to keep growing. I want to keep, you know, doing better. And yeah. obviously, you know, as well, when you do get out of the office, you make a significant contribution, right? I'm sure you've had that feedback mm-hmm. for, right from your team members, et cetera. They go, Oh, we'd like to for see sure. Paul here. Right. So it's, yeah. so it, you know, it, it, it you, you can tell it works. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So what key habits would someone want to steal from you? What key habits do you have uh, that, that you've built up over the decades, Paul? I get up at 4 a.m. every day. And you do? From 4 to 6 is my my most productive time of the day. Nobody's up in the house. I would always make sure that you take time away, you know, for yourself. And sometimes it's, med- you know, just meditating. Sometimes it is working on a project that with a clear mind. But from four to six, uh, before the kids come down, before the wife gets up, it is my time. And I would encourage everybody to do that. Uh, every day I do that. What a fantastic habit. Wow. So so just to back that up, what time are you going to bed so that that's possible? Yeah, typically around 10, you know, 1030, okay. somewhere around there. So you're, you're good with six hours sleep. So that's a, that's a, that's a nice, and you, and you don't look tired to me, Paul. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, five so. to six is sort of the sweet mark. Uh, anything is more it? than that is kind of wasted time. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's awesome. And so do you have a meditation habit? Is that something you've built over the years or? Yeah, it, it, it is. And that's the first thing I do in the morning. And, uh, it's just to sort of yeah. put myself, you know, uh, on the right path for the day. And then I get my coffee and I start working on projects that, you know, um, and for me, I've, I've had an amazing team that I've been able to bring on board. So for me, it's all about where is the company, you know, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years yeah. from now, and really start working on that, whether it's acquisitions, whether it's a new platform, whether it's a vision, starting a nonprofit. So those are all the things that I get accomplished, you know, in my time. Yeah. Without the constant in- interruptions throughout the day. Right, right. Oh, that's that's really, really great. And I know just over the last number of years as well, I've started a meditation habit and it just, it really is powerful. You know, just mm-hmm. less things going on in my head on a constant basis because of the work yeah. that you do, you know, uh, you know, yeah. in the morning or at night. And even again, it's not long periods of time that you need to meditate for, you know, for our leaders no. listening. It's, it's, you know, the goal's not the Dalai Lama for Paul and I. No, no, no. No, it is not. <laughs> No, I got too many things to get done. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So, you know, um, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? Wow. It, it, somebody with a work ethic, uh, somebody that wants to take a chance. You know, this is the perfect time. Like when I was in university, I, I didn't look at it as I do today, but to take a risk in university is your perfect time. I mean, yeah. once you get out of university and there's family and kids involved, that's tough to take a risk then, yes. you know? So I would encourage anybody in university to look at this program hands down yeah. better than any Harvard MBA. You know, it, it is going to give you real skills and you, you have the opportunity to take the risk today. You got lots of time 
you know, ahead of yourself to be conservative, but take the risk now and get that hands-on experience. Well, I so agree with you. Um, and you know, for our leaders, obviously within outside the program, um, you know, it just makes sense to take, take the risk before you get used to having a nice car or get used to a quality of life and do your best to restrict that quality of life. Do your best to keep as much as possible living like a student. And, you know, again, wealth is actually money that you create, you know, minus the amount of money that you spend. So it's, it's always keeping that gap. And so when we're, when we're young, you can have things go sideways and you got a lot of time to, to catch up, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. certainly both of us have had, have had serious sideways experiences of our life. And now, you know, we're, we're decades in and we're on the other side of it, which is great. And then it's just, you know, protect that base, protect that success, you know, and don't, you know, now is not the time that Paul and I would choose to take big risks. You know, yeah, we'll continue to expand and grow and do things and build and, you know, and again, on the, on on the contribute on the not-for-profit side or for, for us, we raise money with MS. So those are things that we, we can do. And again, from a solid base. You know, but, uh, but it really is, it's tough. I, I'm always shocked when, um, I see so many entrepreneurs who create businesses later, but a lot of times I know it's actually, it might be their second or third or fourth business. So a lot of times those right. stats are a little, little deceiving, you know, cause you'll see fast growing yeah. businesses and wow, gee, hold on. That, that person's in their forties or fifties. That's amazing. <laughs> well, Hey, that's their fourth business or whatever, you know, so. right. yeah, they got lots of capital to scale quickly. <laughs> yes. Yes. That too. That too. Yeah. So, well, Paul, I, you know, again, I appreciate and, uh, that you spending the time with our, our, our group today and even more so, you know, just for what you've, uh, and I've never known um, that that you were an introvert um, because it's not how you show up ever for me. Um, and and uh, you know I'm just so appreciative of 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 again jumping on and making this contribution. So thank you so much. Well, thanks, Chris. I'm so appreciative you reached out, and uh, you know, great hearing all the success. You betcha. Well, we'll stay in touch for sure. So you got it. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Thanks, Chris. Hey leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.